Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Forecast is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. What sort of future do you think we're heading for? How will we live as we slip into the 21st century? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Forecast. This is Forecast. Uh, this is the show where myself and Tom Merritt talk about all kinds of cool stuff with our wonderful guests about the future. We predict things. Moreover, they predict things, and we comment on them. I'm Scott Johnson. Like I said, Tom Merritt is in Florida. Tom, welcome. Hey, Scott. Uh, thanks for thanks for taking the lead because I'm uh, in, in a strange, strange world that has alligators and lakes and Mickey Mouse. You're worried you're going to wake up with like a kidney missing and a tub full of ice, anything like no, that? No, that's that's Las Vegas. Uh, here, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm worried I'm going to wake up in a tub full of ice cream with like fairies <laughs> feeding me something. Good luck with it's, that. As I described on Twitter, Orlando seems to me like Las Vegas with a global replace of babies for drunks and ice cream for booze. Whoa. That is, uh, the, the, the analogies just run far and wide. I can't wait to hear all about your trip when you get home. But like Make I said, he's on a trip. He's, he's at conferences tomorrow. Totally excited for him. But in the meantime, dang it, we have a show to do. We have forecasts to do. And neither rain nor sleet nor Florida will stop us from our appointed rounds. That is uh, right, my friends. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get right into our guests. Uh, before Do we do guests first or email first? Do, do guests guess first. first. Let's, let, oh, we gotta, right. we gotta let folks know who's with us so they can comment on the email. All right. Well, starting off, let's start with Ron Richards. He is a man of action, founder of iFanboy, and works over there at Graphically. That's graphic.ly as well. Ron, yep. welcome to the show. Thanks for much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely excited to have you. I'm a huge iFanboy fan, so this is kind of fun for and me. I'm flattered uh, by that, so thank you. And I'm completely intimidated to be here because all my knowledge is in comic <laughs> books and web, and I know nothing about the future. But you never know what will happen. Maybe I'll come up with something good. So That's awesome. <laughs> Love the comic books. Also with us is, of course, Scott Budman, the other Scott on the show. He is the uh, NBC reporter and host of Tech Now. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks. Very glad to be here. Big fan of the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. It's good to have you both here. We always start with a little email from one of our listeners, and today is no different. Uh, we got one from Geek Pound. It's a great name. It's a pound sign, hashtag. Maybe it's Geek Hash. I don't know. He says, my Geek prediction ha- is... Well, that- if, he's, if he's in Orlando, it's Geek Pound. If he's in Las Vegas, <laughs> it's Geek Hash. Right, right, right. Very good. I'm gonna, that's going to frame every, all of my thoughts moving forward from tonight. Uh, my prediction is, says Geek Pound slash Hash is that the next 100 years will develop technology in warp space and to warp space. Rather than push yourself forward using combustible fuels, we'll pull ourselves forward by depressing the space in front of us. This has the additional benefit of space travel, or in space travel, artificial gravity. Eventually, we'll reach the point where we could compress the space in front of us, uh, yet to travel at the same speed. This would let us travel at faster than light speed, relative to normal space speed, warp speed. So what do you think about that? This sounds like science fiction to me, but is there truth in it? Uh, You know, what's interesting about this, uh, it's a bold prediction. Obviously, it's a wishful prediction for anybody who watches Star Trek. But uh, there recently has been some talk about being able to make tractor beams out of lasers. And and the theory goes uh, that in a certain way that they can manipulate a certain type of laser, I think it's called a Bessel laser or something close to that. I'm, I'm going from memory here. Uh, 
it actually works by the laser causing a, a push in front, like a, a, an absence in front that that acts like a tug, even though it's really a push. Uh, and and I can see where a similar sort of thing might be created as a as a means of propulsion. Now, if it's a means of propulsion by lasers, obviously it's you know it's got limits on how far it can it can pull or push uh, people. But it, it you know these sorts of things that we used to think are like crazy science fiction are being developed all the time. So I don't know. The part about compressing space and being able to go back faster than light, I think, is the bigger issue here. I I don't think it's necessarily weird that we could warp space and and you know and pull ourselves through like that, but being able to go faster than light by compressing space, I don't want to be in the space that's being compressed. You know I don't saying? know. I've, I've got MP3s that are twelve times smaller than when they started out. I think anything's possible at this point. Uh, Ron, do you feel like I mean these years of comic books been promising you space travel, <laughs> the ability to get out there and, and get noticed in a in a world of or in a universe of aliens? How close do you think this sort of thing is to us? You know, I got. I mean, as ridiculous as it sounds, I got to believe it's possible because you know we hear so much. What I hear a lot about is like folding space, the idea like wormholes and things like that, where you can you know take space and point A to point B. And it's the whole. Did you see that movie? What was that movie? I Heart Huckabee's The Existential Thought with the sheet mm. where they you know two points in space they can actually be folded and brought together. Um, if that's the same thing as compressing yeah, space, yeah, Madeline Langle did that first in A Wrinkle in Time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that idea of the idea of compressing space to make long distance travel possible i mean everything we've seen from star trek so far has been coming true so why can't why can't warp speed i believe it sure scott do you have any uh, any thoughts on how we can start folding space now and get out there you know, I, I actually was going to take the other side of that, which was the elevator with lasers. We've actually started doing that here in Silicon Valley, sort of an XPRIZE kind of thing where companies will come up with lasers that will transport us up to a space station via some laser-powered elevator. And it sounds very bizarre, uh, but once you get to that point where you can go from here to there in no time at all, yeah, you got to buy into the fact that uh, the space-time continuum can be uh, shaken up a little bit. I'm ready for it. Let's do this now. Send your emails. We we love these guys or these emails. Your thoughts are always welcome on this show. Send them and their and your predictions to forecastpodcast at gmail.com or post it at forecastpodcast.com. We have a blog and you can post them right there. Let's jump right into our short-term predictions. This is the short-term stuff, like things that might happen sooner or later, five, ten years maybe. Let's start with Ron. Ron, what is your short-term forecast? Okay, my short-term forecast is less comic booky and science fiction, but more, uh, you know, kind of more practical and kind of more towards the tech side of the world, which is what I'm into, and kind of productivity. But also, like, I, I see the consolidation of the digital self happening within the next couple of years, and I might be giving away a multi-million-dollar idea, so I might be <laughs> blowing it. So, but the thing is, is that I just see like with with so much stuff moving to the cloud, with Gmail, and with you know, I use Evernote, and with you know, with music, you know, like RDO and things like that. The problem is, is that I've got so many different places where I've got my things at. And really what I think is gonna, we're going to start seeing happening is we're going to say, okay, we figure out how to do this stuff. Now, how is it all going to be consolidated to the point of your digital identity in the cloud? And in terms of you know ma uh, maintaining knowledge and data and things that are really that you need to get by, and they're not being so gimmicky as they are right now. So it's interesting. We, we've On the show, it's come up a whole bunch of times, ways of taking what's in our heads, taking our identity, whatever that means, our experience, our knowledge, our memories, Compressing that down or not even compressing it, but putting it in some sort of 
storage, either downloading yeah. it to something or uploading it somewhere and having it as essentially a, a backup of, of who we are. And, and not What's even never- a backup, but a, but a tool. I mean, like for, I mean, for the, why I thought of this was because this past weekend I was actually up in Seattle. I was at the Emerald City Comic Convention and um, I was working. I was, you know, filming, you know, doing interviews for iFanboy and doing work for Graphically and running around. And this was the first convention where my phone and Evernote was, I was dead without it because I had all my notes. I had the locations of parties. I had phone numbers of people, all this sort of stuff. And I realized that, crap, without this application, I'm lost. But then my thought was, okay, but I've got applications all over the place. And yeah. what, what I really kind of see what the prediction, the, the, the real challenge of this is, is how do we make this so that my mother can use it and not have to, not, it's not such a uh, novelty. Because right well, now, that's, it's what like, that's, that's yeah. what I like about your prediction is you, you've applied some practical thinking to it. In the past, we sort of said, well, there's this existential idea of having our knowledge play someplace. And, well, what would we do with it? We'd download it to our other bodies or this was a way of sort of extending life for an indefinite period of time. But you, you have gotten down to the brass tacks here and said, look, I need to function every day. How can this help me get my job done? And I completely agree. We have so many little services and and all these little tools we use, and there's no way to sort of consolidate them. Uh, it sounds like the best way out of that is to figure out a way to get them all to talk to each other. How do you get the companies to do that, though? How do you get people who are coming up with Evernote and great ideas that will evolve into even greater ideas in five or ten years? How do you get them to sort of work together to say... Let's just all hook together so that people don't have to go to 50 different places to get the work done. The, the problem with that is that it's, it's somewhat anti-free enterprise because, you know, I almost think about, um, you know, like the, you know, and by no means am I advising communism or socialism or anything like this, and I don't want to get political. <laughs> but the idea is that, you know, what, you know, if there was one, you know, the, the, the challenges that we have with our entrepreneurial free enterprise system is that everybody is trying to make the, the fortune and everybody's trying to do what they can. And because of that, you get scattered kind of efforts. And if you've ever worked on data management and some projects I've worked on in the past have been, it's a nightmare to get one system to talk to another system and stuff like that. It's almost as if we need a, um, a uni- some sort of unifying body or unifying um, system or data portability, which I know you guys have talked a lot about in the past and on other shows and things like that, that would allow easy identity management to transfer through these applications to get them all to one kind of storage space um or we just go communist so yeah well the the (laughs) problem is you know do you do you allow it socialism no do you allow it to you know to to become a monopoly and allow like you know a facebook or a google or somebody like that to develop this and and gain a natural monopoly all of our laws are against that right it's antitrust Uh, or do you have the government come in and say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna put this in place, and it could either end up good like the interstate highways, or it could end up horrible like I don't know the postage system or or something like that. So I, I don't know how the best way to get from here to there is, like you're saying, but I totally support the prediction at least coming true somehow. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing. For, for, for up till now, everything that we had, like I said, I feel, I really feel like it's a gimmick. I really feel as if it's us techie guys who, you know, we vague, we know, we know what we're doing. We know how to mix these stuff in together. But I, th- I think about, like I said, my mother or my, you know, or you know, or non-tech people who don't who don't like the technology. How do they use these tools? So yeah. So Scott, here's here's a question for you. You cover tech and you you report on trends that you see are any of these tech trends that you report on do any of these lead you to believe that we're closer to this than uh than or or closer than farther let's say it that way i do think we're closer i like one thing that ron said especially he said we can do this because we can and that's sort of the the be all end all in silicon valley when you can and it starts to make sense 
you start to see these dominoes of, uh, of things that get in the way fall. And so, yeah, he, on the political scheme, he's right. It's a little strange. And, and, and Scott also has a good point as far as how do you get a company to want to do this and still make money and still succeed? Uh, but I think because we can, as Ron said, we're going to see this start to happen. And it does make sense. And he also brings up the one barrier, which is how can you know our parents do this? How can people who are not in the tech bubble that we live in visualize this and want this? as opposed to having someone take care of it for them. Well, and I, I, this, I don't want this to sound too harsh, but I think maybe one of the limits on this is those people, get, <laughs> I don't know how to say it, getting old and dying, but you know, like, it, may, it may take that long. It may take generational shifts before you know, we're able to embrace it. Yeah. yeah, and good, and, that, and that's really and that's really the thing. I mean, like I think we're making steps towards it. I mean, like you know, for example, my mother's on Facebook and she's fully embraced it, and she's uploading photos and all that stuff, and it's chaos because she just doesn't know what to do with it. But uh, <laughs> uh, but I think the, the the potential for you know, like people just want. You know, and that's the sort of it's a, a kind of like an ancillary prediction is that people want better design or better ease of use. And I think that for the past couple of years, we just assumed that Apple has that answer. But I don't think they do, because if you look at mobile me, if you look at the Apple's attempts to get things to the cloud or the fact that, you know, I've got to enter my dumb password into iTunes every time I want to you know download a free app on my iPad, they're not quite there yet. So um, I think there's a lot of potential for innovation. So I got a, a just a small antidote before we throw it over to Scott for his short term prediction. Um, I spoke to a 75-year-old individual uh, two days ago about getting on Facebook. And the words they literally said to me, you may as well just pull the plug and kill me now before I ever get on that Facebook, was their exact words. And so Tom's, Tom's probably right. We got to wait for this generation to kind of go off and then, and we'll be cranky about whatever it is our kids are doing. I'm just saying. You know. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm already seeing the like the leading edge of my future crankiness uh, when you have all these new like photo sharing apps that come along, and I'm like, ah, pick please, please, yeah. uh, you know, Instagram, <laughs> whatever. And I just want to yeah. know how long it is until our kids say. Look, as soon as those guys just go off, everything will be okay. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. What is the what is the thing that, that that we use that they're gonna be like? Oh God, I can't believe they still use Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. Yes. Why why are those old farts still using Twitter? What is wrong with them? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's coming sooner than you think. All right, Scott, let's throw it over to you. What do you see in the short term mirror of your imagination, sir? Uh, all right. Well, mine actually follows kind of closely with what Ron was saying to a bit. I think it's going to take somewhere between three to five years, but I think we're going to see, and, and people have sort of started to predict this, but we are going to see the end of physical media. Not that the media itself will go away, but it will no longer be physical. Music will no longer be on CDs or tapes or records or anything like that. It will be done by the musicians straight into a computer, downloaded straight onto our machines, no middleman, no middle companies. You may still pay for it. I'm thinking about the uh, Radiohead in Rainbow models. I think that model will eventually go to film. It will become straight into the content uh, holders, i.e. our tablets. And again, there will still be an industry, but it will be straight into those tablets. It will be mobile without any middleman, any middle companies. We also saw this in the travel industry. Remember, for a long time to travel, you had to go through a travel service. The travel agent is gone. It all became computerized. It all became instant. It even became mobile. I think we're going to see music do that. I think to an extent we're going to see film do that. And even my industry, let's face it, it's on the way to going away. Uh, we're going to see news become straight mobile, and you'll still get your news. You'll still get your music. You'll still get your books, but there won't be these corporations in the way 
to undemocratize the process, to favor the large bands or the large authors or the large news networks, for that matter, I think it becomes much more democratized and much easier to get from point A to point B. So I, this, I tend so to middle, agree with you pretty much yeah, in, 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 in most of this, uh, Scott, but uh, I, I, I think there'll always be a collector's demand for physical media. It's sort of a small market, just the way LPs have survived, right? Because people kind of right. like it, but it's no longer a mass market. I think we'll see that for physical media still. But what boggled me just today, uh, Japan's Recording Media Industries Association put out a projection that demand for Blu-ray discs, blank Blu-ray discs, will grow 412 million units in 2013. And it's up already 156% over last year. Wait, wait, that what just boggles my mind because it seems like everybody's going the opposite. Nobody's buying DVDs, but obviously people want blank Blu-rays for something. Are we just are we going to move to our like own personal archival system then? That's why I think it's going to take a little bit of time, and it's it's a good point, uh, Tom. I think yes, we're going to want really high quality, a la the Blu-ray for our big screen TVs that we're still buying. That's very legitimate, uh, but eventually the quality is going to get to the point where. Um, when it comes to music, you won't hear the Neil Youngs of the world saying, ah, these MP3s, they're terrible. And, and you won't hear the James Camerons of the industry saying, ah, the, the technology on a basic DVD is terrible. We will, in a few years, have Blu-ray quality on our laptops, our tablets, our phones, whatever it is. So, yeah, take some time. Let's burn some discs for each other. Um, we'll still collect some vinyl. That won't go away. It's just the actual making of the process that is going to change so much so that it will be very high quality immediately from the studio to our devices. So um, this is interesting because the idea that we could get anything we want on demand is very appealing to me. And I've kind of gotten over the need to have physical media over the last few years. I've really kind of embraced this idea that just stream it all to me. I'm fine with that. Um, is Does the middleman just become the guy who stores the media. In other words, uh, let's say you're an independent artist and you've done some amazing uh, music and now you're not, you're not really independent in your future anymore. You're the artist, you're the, the mainstream hit maker and you're still making your music. And the in-between for you is whatever storage company person, whoever acts as distribution point to get that out to the masses. Does that become the one and only middleman? And we have done away with agents and, and lawyers and everything else in between. In your mind, I don't know if well, yeah, I mean, lawyers, uh, there, there may still be a place for that. Um, but yeah, and it's sort of like what Ron said because we have the rise of cloud computing, we have a way to store these things. And obviously, the distribution model is in place with a company like Netflix and those that will follow along in the Netflix model. Um, but if you look at the travel agency, we really got rid of the agents in a very short period of time. I don't know what all those travel agents are doing. But let's assume that people who were the middlemen in, say, the music industry uh, become, yeah, maybe the storage people or the cloud people or the people that are able to go to the bands and say, let me work with you or for you because I know how to distribute this and get it to the tablets and get it to people. And by the way, there will still be live music and there will still be live theater. It's just the actual physical, uh, you know, CD or DVD that I think will go away. Well, it's it's really interesting because that, because actually you you kind of hit right into my wheelhouse because uh, I, I do work for a company called Graphically, which is a digital comics platform, and what we're doing is we're offering comic books digitally. So that you uh, recently, in fact, uh, Lifehacker compared us to the Spotify of comic books, 
And what that allows you to do is it allows you to take out your iPad or take out your phone or go to the web and read, you know, a comic book, you know, on that device, no paper involved. Now, so the professional side of me is absolutely agrees with you. That's the direction we're going in. But I'm a comic book collector and I love comic books and I love having those books on my shelves. And I think that the real, I think Tom's point to the collectible item, uh, the collectible difference of getting a piece of media that celebrates that um, that type of content that you're enjoying, I think there will be a small subset of the audience that still wants that, that wants the, the, the deluxe release of that album or of that movie or something like that. But I agree with you that I do think it's going to go way downhill. And the, you're going to see problems like with the music industry, you know, the record stores went out of business. Where's Tower Records? Where's Virgin Records? They're gone. Um, and yeah. now they've been, they've been replaced by Amazon and by iTunes and the same thing's going to happen in comic books, same thing's happening in movies with Netflix. And I think it's the directions are going, but I don't think we can obliterate the, the, the need for that physical item to put on our shelves. There's always well, that I collector think, mentality. Like, like you keep saying, it's definitely, that's, that's going to take some time, but it, but I look at my life now and I think, all right, well, 10 years ago, I would have collected every comic book, every collectible, whatever it is, music, whatever. I would have collected those things and felt good about having shelf space for it. And now I really just kind of want my Dark Knight, you know, Frank Miller uh, original run. I want to keep that somewhere and I want to keep my Watchmen signed by Alan Moore. I don't really have that, actually. But if I did, <laughs> I want to awesome. keep that. Um, that would be really cool to keep. But generally, like the, the most of the consumption of comics, I really don't need to collect The Walking Dead. I'm happy to consume it month by month do it yeah. digitally. I still can sort of collect it in virtual space and, and I'm okay with that. And I feel like I've gotten more okay with it over time. Do you, do you think Ron, you'll find yourself more okay with it as, as the years go by? Well, I, I definitely, the, the uh, lack of storage space in my apartment will make me be more okay with it. <laughs> or, or like I literally have piles of comics all around my apartment now. It's getting, it's actually getting kind of bad. But I think that, I think that, and again, I think to Tom's point about the generation fading, where there's going to be a generation that's going to grow up that, you know, is similar in the way that we knew comics as the spinner rack in the, in the drugstore where you bought, you know, you bought them for a buck, a buck a piece. You know, there's going to be a generation that thinks comics, oh, those are the things you download and put on your tablet. And they're not even going to know about that collectible thing. But I think what will happen is that the industries will evolve to create some sort of premium thing or some sort of um, uh, collector mentality of the digital piece itself. You know, because I think that's the thing that still gets to people. Everyone wants to own something. They want to. Yeah. They want to belong to something. Curtis B well, has a really that, interesting point that. in the in the chat room. He says uh, he works in the ticket printing industry. Well, he works in an industry, and part of his, the job is printing tickets. He says single events are all going electronic, but season ticket holders still want that souvenir book of yep. all of the tickets, especially if their team wins something in a year. You know, you want that physicality. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll give you that, and that, that actually makes sense. And if there is still a collector's market, as there have been for vinyl, um, that's actually a good example. And even for comic books, um, you haven't seen the big companies and the big releases go vinyl all that much because there's not money in it. But you're right. There could be something in nostalgia, but it'll be yeah. a much smaller business than it is now. It'll totally, also totally. be it's a side thing. It'll also yeah. be for stuff that came out in a in a period of time that is from a, a day gone by in a bit in a, in a way. So if you're a book collector, you're collecting that really hard to get Hemingway book because it was made at a time that there that was the way you got it. Now, is anybody going to be freaking out about? I got to make sure I have that vinyl copy of the latest, you know, Soundgarden CD or whoever. Uh, 
<laughs> That's the kind of dates me a little. I don't mean Soundgarden. But I was some... going to say Soundgarden. Good reference. <laughs> let's say I don't know. Let's say and Mumford Alice and Sons. Chains. <laughs> or Arcade Fire. Do I do I care in twenty years that I have an Arcade Fire CD if it isn't signed or something like that? No, I don't because I bought it digitally to start with. They came in an era of digital distribution, and it feels like that's when that starts to shift and change. And we'll just have nostalgia for the stuff that came when that mattered that it was physical. Or at and, least it and seems like. And that's okay. the thing. I mean, myself, I mean, admittedly, I have a collector mentality and I approach these things, you know, in the, in the same way. And I was a big music fan and, and I've got a vinyl collection, but for years I was still buying the CDs and I was ripping them myself. And then I didn't even realize, but in the past year and a half, I've stopped buying the CDs and I'm downloading them off Amazon directly. And I haven't even given it a second thought. I don't know when it was never a conscious decision. It was never a, a th- you know, an, uh, I'm going to do this from here on out. It's just something I do now. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I've completely, you know, for music, I've graduated to the cloud. So. Well, the They've movie industry is facing in that it. same thing because people are not buying DVDs anymore. It just right. in the past five years, it just happened, you know, and everybody predicted it. But it's kind of the weirder to see it happening where people just don't collect that stuff the way they did. Part of it was DVDs were new and they were you were replacing your VHS collection. But the other part is people just don't collect. That's why uh, Ultraviolet is this effort by the movie industry to to kind of create a collector's market digitally. And Ultraviolet will allow you to actually store the movies you buy in the cloud and be able to access them on any device and all of this stuff. It's, it's a grand scheme. We'll see how it actually works out in practice. But they're trying to figure out, like, how can we, how can we stoke that market and get sales going again? Well, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, let's move on to our long-term predictions now. Uh, we'll stay with you, Scott. These are the longer-view predictions. Like my friend Tom Merritt always says, like in a hundred years, we'll be in flying cars sort of thing. Uh, so we'll throw it to you, Scott. What do you see? We'll stay with you. What do you uh, yeah, I'm going to go uh, sort of stick with technology, but technology as a background for my 100-year prediction. You know, we all saw in the Middle East how technology with brand new communication tools like Twitter and Facebook were ever to able to help people communicate uh, from far and wide and really change politics to a large extent. I think in 100 years, this kind of technology will work so well, we're actually going to see continents and entire countries fragmented because of it. So in a similar way that you would see a company spin off a smaller company, you will see countries spin off smaller republics. Uh, And I think this will happen in many, many countries. And so what we'll have are instead of superpowers, uh, i.e. big tech companies like Cisco and uh, Microsoft, we will see the rise of smaller, more efficient countries and governments, a la, say, Google and, uh, and, and Twitter itself. Uh, and, uh, and I throw Ron's company in there. Companies that are very good at doing something not all that gigantic yet, and they don't do 400 things, but they do something and they do it very well, and they get people gradually to come on board. And so as countries fragment, uh, it, it will be not exactly like uh, the geographic uh, times when continents fragmented, but it will be that in a virtual way. And the ones that really do rise and thrive will be like those smaller, more efficient, nimble companies. Do you see it happening in westernized nations like ours and Europe and so on? Do you see that happening there? Or is this, are we talking just in the developing world? Well, you know, I've given it 100 years, so I can sort of say, I I think (laughs) first probably in the developing world, but why not in large, powerful companies? You look at China and it is, it's one country. I mean, it's, you know, it's one physical body, but there are so many different ways. India is the same way. There is a caste system there. There may as well be different, uh, you know, entirely uh, different ways of, of, of running these countries. 
And uh, it, it would be interesting to see some of these actually splinter off. And yeah, why not eventually uh, come to the West? Because let's say in 100 years, we in the West are no longer the global superpower. It's not about America. It's not about Europe. Uh, so you see more splintering because we say, hey, we want to be smaller and more efficient. And that is the only way as countries and as governments we're going to get things done. We saw a lot of this in the Eastern Bloc and, and when the Soviet Union dissolved. Uh, we're even seeing it with South Sudan. Uh, we're, we're seeing it in, in Belgium, of all places, where they haven't had a government in over 200 days because the two areas, the French-speaking and the Flemish parts of the countries, just can't agree. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of evidence that this is already starting. This, is, this ball is already rolling that way. I do think the United States will be the last country to allow this to happen because we don't have those deep ethnic roots related to area related to uh, geographical area that you have in say africa or europe uh but i don't but think I, we'll say, be an exception. I disagree i i think i disagree tom yeah. because like for for years there's been admittedly crazy but grassroots rumbling i grew up in new york and there was always the random nut who says that long island and the city should break away from new york state and form their own state and yeah, I, agree. I, I think it'll That's happen. Exactly I think, I I think we'll say. be behind the curve. That's all. Yeah. Oh, no, no. But, but, I, but, but, I, could, but I totally true, but, see but I, metropolitan areas like San Francisco, the New York metro area, Chicago, like the, the, the more dense ones leading the charge to break away. I mean, that, I mean, I think that that's kind of our state system is, you know, almost encourages it. I, th I think it's going to happen sooner than you think. Yeah, and I'm not saying that this is all going to be for the positive. You know, we've looked at what's gone on in some places in the Middle East, and we say ah, it's a very positive use of the technology, and it's really democratizing things and freeing people that haven't been freed for a long time. By the time it gets to us, maybe it will simply simply be the division of politics, like Ron is saying, a big city that has uh, you know warring factions because you know on this side you've got Republicans, on this side you've got Democrats, you've got Tea Partiers over here, and we already know how to use this technology, so maybe we will use it simply to splinter off. And you know, in a hundred years, we may wish that we went back thirty or forty years and and didn't do as much splintering. Who knows? Yeah, I have a feeling that we're going to regret some of that. But it seems like I always tend to look at the negative side of some of these predictions. And it seems like these are not unlike splintering off a piece of a company. These often are, are, are bloody things. These are often things that where a lot of people get hurt, especially maybe the poor or those who can't defend themselves or whatever. And it seems like, you know, if Texas decides to, to go ahead and do a split, what will all those people in Austin do? Because they're just about as different, you know, as you can be down there. And that's how my stereotype is anyway. But my point is, if, if all of these kind of splinterings uh, happen, and they happen because of technology sort of facilitates a way to say, well, you think like me, so let's, you know, form our own nation here within this nation or whatever. It seems like we'd have to come up with some non-power vacuous way of saying that this, is, this, that this can happen. Because if it's going to happen, we got to have a way for it to happen without millions dying every time somebody decides to secede or break off or form their own little group and and that seems that seems really hard to me of course we have a hundred years to deal with it and maybe we can figure it out in that time we did a lot of crazy things in the last hundred years so i'm not saying it's not impossible but that kind of stuff scares me a little bit for the for the future of you know our posterity what are they going to have to deal with when half of their state decides they want to secede and become you know the nation of idaho or something no no offense right, i agree scott nor do i say this as a very positive 100 year uh, prognostication. I say this as sort of 50-50. There will be in some of these nations a very positive use of this technology and a very positive splintering off and a very positive democratization. But because it is possible, because we can do this, um, it will not, in my prediction, all be used for good. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, I kind of fear this prediction as well. Interesting. This is a good one. Uh, any other thoughts over there from you, uh, Ron? You got any, uh, any way to save us with your superhero ideas from your comic <laughs> books? <laughs> well, no, I mean, That's I, right. I, we'll need a superhero. Listen, <laughs> Superman. <laughs> well, I, I, save, I save that stuff for my crazy predictions. I'll get to that. But, but um, okay. in terms of my long-term prediction, I, I think mine is similar in that I think that uh, what, when I was thinking about what's going to happen in the next 100-plus years or so, um, I really see us as opposed in terms of expansion, and this kind of ties off onto the fragmentation. I see us going underground in the ne- within the next couple hundred years. Um, I really th- think that over that time period, we're going to be uh, have expanded across the physical areas of this country so so much and have done so much damage to, to the environment that we're going to see like a 12 monkeys almost like uh, kind of environment where everyone's gone underground. Not because they have to, not because the you know, solar flares and you're going to die, but because really it's the only way as opposed to going up, we're just going to go down. I could see high speed high speed rails being connecting uh, cities, underground cities, um, and really leveraging a lot of the space beneath us. So that's my kind of hundred right, plus. So, year so, idea so there. it's the, it's the Chud versus the Sun worshippers. I look forward to that day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'll be great. Ron, I hear this prediction a lot from a lot of people, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but the one thing you failed to address in your proposal here, how do we deal with the mole men? (laughs) Well, that's the the thing is that we're going to learn to embrace the mole men because they're much smarter than you think. (laughs) <laughs> wow. I, I yield to the senator in Florida. Nice job there, Tom. Good, good point to bring up. No, um, I, all right. In all seriousness, I think this is, a, this is a really interesting prediction because it has been made in other eras when we thought, well, we, we can't possibly build any higher. And then we figured out skyscrapers and we're like, OK, well, we're not going underground yet. But I think you're you're right. And I don't know if this belongs in long term, 100 years or long term longer. But I think at some point. We are going to take advantage of all that space below us that we haven't taken the best advantage of yet, whether it's for overcrowding, whether it's for climate reasons, or whether we just realize there's some other advantage to doing it. I'm with you on this one. I think this could so, be a, conflu- a confluence of something like that. What really got me thinking about it was actually because um, you know I was reading an article about uh, you know with oil prices uh, when oil prices go up, so do airline prices. And, you know, and then I had a discussion this past weekend actually about high speed rails and, you know, connecting San Francisco and L.A. or connecting New York and Washington, D.C., which they've done a little bit, you know, with the Acela train on the East Coast and that sort of thing. But um, the idea being that, you know, at some point we're going to exhaust something, some resource, some ability and all the stuff we do now. And especially I, I fly across the country all year round. We take it for granted now, I think, and we're going to end up in a situation where we're going to have to go down a couple of notches and go back to, you know, whether it's a high speed rail system or some sort of, you know, pneumatic tubes or something like that, (laughs) Um, because either, you know, we run out of oil or the cost is going to become too prohibitive or it's just eventually going to be more efficient to, to travel that way. So, so what uh, I, I like to get into the specifics of the idea of moving underground. This isn't this is an awesome long term prediction. I love this because there's something about that that just intrigues me. Big cavernous space, yep. you know, weird cities. Everyone's eating mushrooms to survive. Well, well that's um, well, that's that's the other point too. Is that the, the thing I think about is like JFK Airport in New York. If you've ever driven into there, that is a mess of of uh, ramps and turns and stuff like that. We blew it. We screwed up building cities. Like and so and so, I think we're going to look at a situation where like, okay, well, how can we plan it and do it well and go down and be able to manage the levels and manage what's going on at those levels in a more utopian kind of approach? Yeah, and I think about like earthquakes and I think about tectonic shifts and how that will be handled at that level. Because on top, it's like, okay, well, it's surface stuff, so we got to account for the wiggle and the jiggle and the whatnot. But down there, you know, 
you're all, you're in that thing. Like that's the earth shifting, then you're part of it. And that seems crazy to me. And the idea of being able to travel or or build cities that can accommodate the need people do have for natural sunlight. Like, how are we going to, you know, we got to artificially do a bunch of that. Can we capture some of the sun's power? Who stays on top? Like, who, yes. how does it get, who chooses to be up there still? That just, well, the, uh, that's the really sun, the sunlight question. The sunlight question is really interesting because, you know, a lot of people who suffer from seasonal effects and affective disorder have those uh, lamps that uh, replicate the feeling, the warmth you get from the sun. There's no reason why that technology can't be continued further on to create, you know, sun-like areas underground. Interesting. Scott, any thoughts on the uh, the future of the underground dwellers that we are all destined to be? Yes, I like the idea of pneumatic tubes, Ron. I've always dreamt of traveling uh, in the modern age, uh, as our mail did way back in the day. And I think uh, yes. I'm down for the pneumatic tubes. I got to give the Jetsons credit for that, man. They're the ones yeah. who put that idea in my head. <laughs> yeah, but the Futurama really perfected it. So we'll yes, they did. I like how you too. honor your forefathers. That's, that's very <laughs> <Yes>. gracious, Ron. <laughs> we honor decades of animation history, Tom. <laughs> uh, let's keep it. Uh, let's keep it with you, Ron. We're going to talk now about our crazy ass predictions. These are the really far out forecasts. Like in two thousand years, as Tom likes to say, we'll be made of cheese. So, uh, what do you think we'll see in the long crazy term? Uh, again, I feel, I feel bad to be harping on the comic books and stuff like that, but that's why I live and breathe. And my favorite one is the X Men, which fe which features on human mutation. And I think that that's the one we're really going to see. You know, the crazy, crazy two thousand years. You know, you're going to see you know beings able to you know whether telekinesis and things like that come to come to fruition. Or one of the powers that I love is there's a there's a, a character in the X Men who can uh, with some kinetic energy make a clone of himself and exist in two places at once. Um, and, and, and be able to then absorb that clone and absorb all the information that that clone learned. So I think we're going to see the human genome expanding in ways that we've never even imagined, allowing for amazing kind of powers and amazing different kind of uh, uh, abilities amongst humans. Okay, we can't let that go without you at least telling us what if you were there, and let's say you <clears throat> were in this great utopian time of mutation, what do you want as your powers? What do you want to mutate, mutate into? You know, I've I've struggled with that a lot. You know, because it, you know, telepathy is always the big is that's the biggie because you want to be able to read people's minds and then also suggest things and stuff like that. But but I feel as if that's an easy answer. Um, teleportation is a cool one because you can go travel long distances. But I don't see that. That's more a that's more of a um, I think of a science uh, science fiction construct than actually something that uh, the human genome could actually evolve to. But I think that example I just gave of being able to spin off a clone of yourself or be able to, you know, and then absorb those memories and, and be able to be in two places at once, have different, you know, not so much avatars, but actually organic beings that are technically you that uh, you can then absorb or, you know, generate as you need to. That's kind of what I would like to be. So I could be doing everything I ever want to do whenever I want to do it. Awesome. The correct answer was invisibility, by the way. Right. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, Scott, any thoughts on uh, what kind of superhero you might want to be if you mutated? Well, I was thinking invisibility, yeah. But uh, it's interesting. In 2,000 years, maybe, it's, it's enough time for a crazy prediction. It's probably not enough time for evolution to occur. But given what we know with cloning and with uh, the whole avatar thing, I think Ron's onto something. We may be able to self-clone and then be in two places at the same time and, and somehow change... Obviously, that changes everything if we can do that. Uh, so, yeah, I may choose a visibility uh, just for myself, but we have to think of what can we do if we are in two places at the same time. And that is just that's open to everything that changes uh, the whole world in, in awesome ways. It would make my social life a whole lot easier right now. To be honest with you. <laughs>
Uh, Scott, well, I've gone ahead and chosen invisibility right now. Um, so very good, very good. Hope that works for you. Who needs two hundred two thousand years? That's great. I can see part of that cheeseburger still stuck in your throat, though. It's kind of giving you away a little bit. Uh, um, I was. I, I, I would add this to the. You made an interesting uh, comment, Scott. You said. Um, sorry, I can't get over Tom's joke. That's pretty good. Uh, you you said that uh, oh, there hasn't back. been enough time. 2,000 years isn't long enough for a major evolutionary jump to happen for us to become mutated to the point that we have maybe superpowers. But the idea has always uh, kind of struck me that we, as human beings, have a way of artificially kickstarting things we didn't mean to. And yeah. through other methods and means, be it some biological engineering or through some mistake or error or through destroying our environment to the point that, you know, we begin to mutate because the environment is pushing us to do so. Do you think that's possible? Yes. I mean, let's say in uh, Ron, how long was it until we go underground? Let's say we started to go underground. Then, yeah, in a pretty short period of time, uh, even given a couple thousand years, we would have to change how we lived, how our bodies function. So I guess you could call that sort of a mutation. And, and Ron was also on with all the pollutants that we put into the water. What if in a couple of thousand years, um, fish had to get out? So they developed legs, you know, and then all of a sudden we saw evolution start again because the fish had to get out of the water this time because of all the contaminants. So if, if we're underground or if we pollute things so much, maybe that's our human way of kickstarting uh actual physical change who knows ron how do you know that these changes are good like how do you know we're going to end up as uh, with powers that can do good instead of evil how do you know we're not just going to grow a third arm and yeah ron know, i don't yeah I'm, I'm, it's funny because i'm you know generally i'm optimistic but you're right that's a very good point is that you know because also the the whole mutation and going underground is kind of like a more negative kind of thing you know because i guess you kind of look to the stars and we're going to go up and we're going to go outward but there's a good chance that if we're driven underground and then we further mutate we will turn into the mole men we so. need mutation <laughs> regulation <laughs> that's right and the politics oy vey it gets pretty crazy yeah All right, and, well, let's and just just like heroes and watchmen we have gone <laughs> and smallville we have gone from superheroes to regulating superheroes <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's throw it over to Scott for his long-term, uh, not his long-term, his crazy predictions. Scott, what do you Crazy have? prediction. Well, I'm, I'm going to stick with the uh, will we be made of cheese. No, we won't be made of cheese, but how about this? Uh, mm. Science gets to the point where we discover that we humans are actually genetically exactly like, say, some kind of a beetle. And so we think, ah, okay, well, we evolved from apes, and, and that whole thing gradually happened. Turned out we didn't even realize it, but we are genetically... Uh, identical to a kind of beetle. And so what we decide to do is instead of assume that everything should be more like us, we look at beetles and after all, don't they survive everything like nuclear war? So we start to take these beetles apart and figure out, ah, how can we correspond their genetic likeness to our genetic likeness and somehow become more survivable. That's what happens uh, in, in the crazy. I, I love how specific this is. This is awesome. <laughs> so, so you well, can take I just um, out the term robot friends, then that would be safe. <laughs> and you're going to, you know, I wanted to go with something else. Well, the better question right. is, is it, is it Ringo or George or John or Paul? Oh, oh yeah, I was going oh, there. Oh, very good. Very good. Outstanding. <laughs> Outstanding. I was going there too. Boy, that is sad. All three of us were going to do Look, that. Because um, in 2000 he, years, Ringo he, is still among us. So I guess it would be him. He's the one that survived. <laughs> He is the beetle of beetles. <laughs> yes. Ability to survive. Uh, no, you, you make a, a, a very interesting uh, 
I mean, it is the crazy prediction, right? You know, and what would that do to our sense of our species if we discovered that? Right. I mean, I just came up with the beetle at the last minute. What if it was that we were identical to, I don't know, the pterodactyl or something, and we just we were able to map the genome so specifically to find out that we were equal to something maybe that isn't even with us anymore? And so what would we do to try to improve ourselves based on that knowledge? But somehow to figure out that, wow, we are not alone. Uh, yeah. Even on our own planet, uh, we are not alone. We turn, we turn on this gene and we grow a chitinous exoskeleton. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I like the good. sound of that. That's way beyond yeah, I, me biologically. I, I love this idea because uh, the, the idea that we, you know, they always say, well, we're cl- our closest ancestor is uh, what, chimpanzees, they say? And right. they, they're, or, or there was something else we were really close to, some worm. Anyway, I don't think this is this far off. I think we do get to a point where we're like, Oh, well, look how resilient cockroaches are to, I don't know, dying in a nuke blast. <laughs> right. And maybe they can apply that to us and figure out how to help us survive the next nuke blast. Um, it doesn't seem that crazy to me. I mean, we're getting to the point <clears throat> where if we're digging that far into different genomes, ours and, and, and the animal kingdoms and insects, why not be able to, you know, extract some of that out, find out where yeah. we're similar, and then shore each other up and maybe even give a little back to the bug. I don't know. Make the bugs more caring and the more human-like in some weird way. Turn them into we'll share that. That's yeah. not bad. Not bad. <laughs> we'll share. Awesome. We'll share our similarities. Awesome. All right, I, think, very no, nice. I, I think I think he's right on because like when they map the genome, like they they don't they make guesses for like wide sections of it. Like, aren't there like the you know like the the number of different and I don't know I'm not a geneticist I don't know this stuff but aren't the the number of details that are held they make like estimations. You say, if you say if you say guesses, it kind of yeah. I was just gonna say when you say guesses, it makes it sound a little less scientific than it is. But they do. You're right. They make estimations, and those estimations could have errors in. Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean, and then we get into Jurassic Park kind of situations. But no. But I mean, but seriously, there there are gaps in the genome where I think that if there's some link between an animal that we're not aware of, or even like as we start, if we do space exploration and we find life on other planets, we find similarities between species we don't even know exist because they got mixed in a different way than we got mixed. And this is the stuff, though, that leads to what your future is, which is we're all mutated and we all have, yep. you know, either, hopefully we're we have, we're shooting lasers out of our eyes and we have to wear fancy glasses to keep it contained. <laughs> the chances are, you know, we're going to have antennae and, and exoskeletons and, you know, we're going to ooze stuff from places we don't want to have oozing. And, and that worries me a little bit. Uh, we'll so. find out we actually do have tiger blood and Adonis <laughs> DNA. Very good. Very good. Uh, I'm glad we got a Sheen reference in. That's good. Uh, all right. Well, uh, awesome. I think the you guys over under was 40 minutes. So you guys beat it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you. Nice work. Uh, you guys did great on that. It is now time for what I often call my favorite part of the show. It's not really true, but I enjoy it. It's our four questions. This is where we ask four questions of both of you. We do it rapid fire style. That means you don't have time to answer too clinically. You have to kind of go from the gut. Just let it all out. Uh, we usually ask if you're sitting comfortably. I'll start with, uh, Scott. I'm going to ask you, are you sitting comfortably, sir? Yes, sir. All right. Here we go then. Okay. Scott Budman, your questions are these. When the four horsemen of the apocalypse come, will they opt for motorcycles over over horses? Yes, they will. Definitely. Right. Good, good answer. Uh, <laughs> I just think horses. A very Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett of you. Because <laughs> uh, we'll be living underground and horses won't be able to breathe. Right. <clears throat> uh, what current technology has the most chance of becoming self-aware in the next hundred years? 
That's a good question. I'll say the uh, iPad by the 10th or 11th generation. Jonathan Ive will figure out a way for it to have a working, functioning brain. Ooh, but it'll still be made out of aluminium. All right. <laughs> what major holiday yeah. will be outlawed by 2075? I'm sorry, did you say a major holiday? Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, major holiday. I will say Thanksgiving, and that's going to come sooner than we think. Some politically correct group is going to overthrow Thanksgiving. Okay, dang it. I love that one. Unfair that to me too. I'm a big fan. <laughs> that's very sad news indeed. Um, all right. Finally for you, <laughs> when will track suits come back into business fashion? Uh, in about... 12 months when the Silicon Valley has its next big round of IPOs, tracksuits are coming back. Awesome. They got to be black with white stripes. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> It'll be Mark Zuckerberg wearing a tracksuit at the Facebook IPO is what, what I'm hearing <laughs> you, you say. He'll be at the NASDAQ signing his name, tracksuit and uh, flip-flops. Yes. <laughs> Love it. All right, Tom, over to you, sir. Excellent. Uh, well, yeah, my, as I, uh, I was worried about, my connection starting to get a little wonky, so I hope you can hear all these questions. Ron Richards, are you sitting comfortably? I am comfortable. All right. As comfortable as Good. I can be. Then we will begin. <laughs> Question number one. Who will be the first member of the Glee cast to be elected to office? I'm Jane Lynch, because she, there's nothing that woman can't do. Right on. Good yeah. answer. And that, that'll be sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's like next year. I think that the correct answer is actually Brittany because she's too hilarious not to elect were she a run. But mm. <laughs> Question number two. How will the Mets one day become more important than the Yankees? <laughs> when a horrific disaster earthquake in the Bronx levels Yankee Stadium and the Yankees go under and they're the only team left in New York. <laughs> we're supreme S sad but true <laughs> question number three when the android operating system proves to have been the first step to google reaching self-awareness and enslaving us all will you still be an android fanboy hell yeah <laughs> Give me, i'm gonna get one of those green little robot outfits and i'll, I'll mix right in with them absolutely I've, i welcome my android overlord <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and finally, question number four. What will be the last series of comics to be printed on actual dead tree paper? I'm going to have to go with Superman. The first one's going to be the last one. Uh, the first shall be last. Good answer. That's, yeah, hey, you know what? I, I love I think, that. I, think, <clears throat> I love yeah. that. There's some, there's some poetry to that. It's also a little sad, but yeah, I like that. Nice job. <laughs> uh, well, great. You've both passed wonderfully. That means we've had another successful show. Can't thank you guys enough for being here. Um, thanks for being with us. We had a really good time. Well, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I hope I didn't blow it. Yeah, thanks a lot. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> no, you, you, you both were great. Uh, Ron Richards, man of action, founder of iFanboy and graphic lead, graphic.ly. Uh, anything else you want to tell people about where else they can find you on the Webernet? You can find me on Twitter at, at RonXO and uh, go to iFanboy.com, go to Graphically.com, enjoy the lovely comics, and uh, yeah, hope to see you all around. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. You betcha. <laughs> Scott Budman, how can people learn more about you, find you more, listen to what you have to say, all that stuff? Uh, gosh, people don't watch news that much, I realize, so let's go on Twitter. It's Scott Budman, and, uh, and really, thanks for having me. This has been great. Well, it's our pleasure. Tom, yet again, another show's done. You did okay on America's uh, wiener uh, down there in Florida. No offense, yes. Floridians. <laughs> it, well, you know, it's either Texas or Florida. One of those two has to be 
what you're saying. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure which one it is. Uh, <laughs> I, out I, the window, have, I can't uh, tell. I hope you have some great conferences tomorrow, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed tonight's show, and be safe on your trip back, won't you? Hey, and don't forget, folks, uh, if you would like more comments like what Scott just made, watch the morning stream with Scott Johnson and Brian Ibbett. It is a fantastic way to start your day. Yes, morning stream every Monday through Thursday. That's at uh, frogpants.com slash TMS. Of course, for this show, you can leave your comments, send us your emails, all kinds of cool stuff. The website to visit and comment on is forecastpodcast.com. Or you can send us an email to forecastpodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you guys. Adios. Wait, wait, wait.